Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, we had the Bank of England this morning raising I just, its... I just wanted to point out one thing. Yep, yeah, man. Uh, I love, I never know what to say. Bitcoin pricing per, it's really per coin. Uh, Greg just said per bit, which is funny. But a Bitcoin is made up of about a million bits. So I was going with the old per token. You yeah, don't that, like that? That could work. Per token uh, works also, as, as does per coin. Just saying per coin, it sounds, there's an echo, you know? Yep. But, um, there are many, many, many bits in the line of code that make up one. <laughs> well, Bitcoin. speaking of Bitcoin, it's forty-eight thousand four hundred twenty dollars per. I'm going to go with token down seven hundred fifty dollars or one point five percent. So there you go. All right, let's check in with Megan Horneman, director of portfolio strategy at Verdant's Capital Advisors. Megan, thanks so much for joining us here. Just give us your thoughts of what we've heard and seen and read from various central banks over the past. 24 hours. How has that changed, if at all, your outlook for next year? Um, it hasn't changed our outlook. Uh, it wasn't a, a complete surprise what they did. I mean, they kind of told us what they would do when the Fed pivoted when they dropped transitory last week or the week before. Uh, I think what they're doing is necessary. I think it's it's going to the Sometimes that short-term pain helps with the, the long-term gain. We need to get a little bit more aggressive about pulling back some of these emergency measures. Quantitative easing, for sure. We haven't needed that for some time now. We've been out of that emergency situation. So I do agree with what they're doing there. From the inflation standpoint as well, getting a little bit more aggressive now, saying potentially three rate hikes next year. This is what the market wanted to hear, and you're seeing that being reflected in the equity market. If they had disappointed in coming out in any more dovish type of a, a tone, I think you actually would have seen a very bit different story on the equity markets. I think you would have seen them sell off because there's that overwhelming fear that the Fed may be behind the curve. And what they're doing right now is, is showing that they're, they're very um, observant of what's going on with the inflation environment and ready to, hit, to do what they need to do to tackle that. And um, do you have faith that they'll be able to do that without derailing economic growth? Uh, that's, the, that's the biggest question, right? Well, can we yeah, get also, this I didn't mean landing? to use the word faith. I mean, you know, no, do, you ex do you expect that? Yeah, no, no, do not worry about that. Um, so I think right now this is a, a very good step. I'm, I'm glad they got a little bit more aggressive. The biggest thing that we will have to see in the first half of next year to see if they can successfully do this is, um, is there something that's going to give? Will the demand side of it from the consumer start to slow a bit? Um, will that help us catch up on the supply side of things? That may help alleviate some of the, the inflationary pressures in the second half of next year. That time will tell with the consumer. We saw retail sales yesterday. They were a little bit disappointing. There is some evidence that the higher prices from either the gas pump or the food prices, this is starting to affect um, consumers. You're seeing it with credit card debt pickup as well. So if we see some pullback in that demand side of things, then the Fed is doing the right thing. It's doing its job. Um, I still think it's a little bit too early to tell, can we successfully land this economy in, in 2022? Megan, so given that backdrop, are, are you suggesting to your clients in 2022 that they focus on 
again, some of these cyclical names that uh, will, I guess, perform well in a reopening economy or kind of sticking with the tried and true big cap growth names? Um, no, I, we're still recommending to stick with those cyclical type of sectors that will benefit from the global recovery. These also are the areas of the market that have lagged over the past six months by a significant amount. They, from a valuation perspective, they're more they're more attractive than those large cap growth, mega cap uh, tech type of names. And keep in mind that a lot of these very expensive investments, whether you're looking at mega cap tech or some of these momentum type of investments that you've seen materialize in 2022, they've been hurt over the past week. And that's been primarily because of the fact that the easy money policy that has fueled some speculative, speculative types of trades over the past year, that's going to be fading into 2022. So you're seeing some profit taking there. Uh, you're seeing that today as well. And you're seeing a rotation back into those areas that actually have value that can benefit from um, not only higher interest rates, when you're looking at financials, they can benefit right. from the resumption of economic growth with industrials. Uh, so those are some areas that we still focus on going into next year. Jerome Powell didn't seem terribly concerned about Omicron, although mm-hmm. it's wreaking havoc in Europe. Um, how does that factor in to your strategy? So um, we're going to deal with the different variants of this virus forever. Uh, this, this isn't going away. Uh, what I would like to see in 2022 is that we learn to live with it as opposed to locking down. Uh, right now, we're still in that you know, concern of lockdown phase. But if we can learn to live with this and get through these humps, because we will deal with more variants, um, this Omicron, apparently, there was a, you know, a knee-jerk reaction at first that because it's more transmissible, it's more dangerous. We're not seeing that right now. Um, it is definitely, it's been more transmissible, but we're not seeing it uh, necessarily increase the hospitalizations. Uh, the one thing that we think will t- be a big focus in 2022 is therapeutics. Uh, for for coronavirus, this will help us to get further to that living with it as opposed to locking down because of it. So I think that's going to be a focus in 2022. I'm not concerned at this point of Omicron derailing the economic recovery. All right, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Megan Horniman, Director of Portfolio Strategy at Verdant's Capital Advisors, talking about locking down. Just coming across the Bloomberg Terminal, City tells New York and New Jersey staffers, to work from home again. So we'll see how this plays out as the COVID-19 continues and the uh, Omicron variant is the driver here. I want to bring in Mark Douglas now. He is the president and CEO at Mountain. He works with Ryan Reynolds to put out ads like the one we saw over the weekend with Chris Noth. Still alive and well and riding his Peloton. Um, Mark, talk to me about that fast turnaround. Did you have any heads up that um, the Sex in the City, uh, you know, death was going to happen in the days preceding? Um, none. So we had no heads up and Peloton had no heads up. And we learned about it just like everyone else by just watching television and, um, you know, in the in basically on the show, HBO essentially implies that exercise is not healthy. And um, because one of the main characters, Mr. Big, dies. And so um, Peloton had just become a customer with a service, we, with new service we have, we call Creative as a Subscription, where we can just mobilize quickly to include creative and their media buy. 
And we actually, on Saturday, flew to New York, and Ryan, as our chief creative officer, essentially um, with his with the team here, his team at Mountain, just wrote this ad and um, filmed it and edited it and released it on Sunday. And I woke up Monday to <laughs> all this news, so it was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, no advance notice whatsoever. Yeah, that was extraordinary. And what it kind of said to me a little bit, Ryan, is we often talk to you. I'm I'm sorry, Mark, Mark. we often talk to you about, you know, digital ad tech, digital advertising. It's still the importance of a good old TV ad can really generate a lot of buzz. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something I say all the time. And a mountain more software platform and essentially – um, distribute television media um, commercials on streaming media. But I always say, you know, it's advertising first. Mad, you know, the age of Mad Men, all of that, it matters. And the message matters. And so, um, and this essentially proved it. I mean, nothing beats just putting something in front of consumers that is entertaining and watchable and, and you know, that, that they can really consume and enjoy. And that's exactly what happened here. So it was, I can't stress how, how unbelievable it was between Saturday and, and essentially Monday morning. It is uh, pretty amazing. By the way, do people, Mark, do they often confuse you with Brian? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> that has not yet occurred. But I was on CNBC with him. Well, maybe I should mention that on Bloomberg the other day, and I thought I was holding up pretty well side by side with him. But comps there. Hasn't yet. We we are platform <laughs> agnostic. But, but you know, speaking of TV, and Paul makes an interesting uh, point. There's a lot of people who still watch the boob tube. Um, but most of us are going to see your ads on Instagram and YouTube um, rather than television, right? Where do you um, get the most exposure? Right. So so for Mountain, we're basically uh, just how television is new. It's on demand. It's streamed. Um, that's where Mountain delivers the ad experience. So we're a performance platform for streaming television, um, and any brand can come to our website and sign up, you know, essentially use our platform to reach consumers. So we, we are not on – we obviously use um, social media ourselves, but our platform is on streaming. It's on when you're watching ABC or you're watching the Bloomberg channel on television or, you know, any essentially of all of the TV networks in America. But on Not CNBC, so though, right? Well, um, I think, you know, we do have a deal. <laughs> we do serve on NBC. But it sounds like we shouldn't be, so I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Mark, give us a sense of kind of how – your conversations with your clients have kind of evolved over the past couple of years of this pandemic. Is it, how have they changed, if, if at all? It's, it's the main thing. It's all about results. I mean, I think that we're in kind of a golden age of television. There's just so much great content. I don't know anyone who, you know, actively watches TV who can literally keep up with all the shows that are available and all the great content. Um, but for the advertisers, what really matters, especially during the pandemic, is they have to have provable results. And so that's kind of been the big shift. You see this big shift going from brand advertising, um, where companies just kind of take a leap of faith in terms of results of the ad spend, to now kind of performance advertising. And so, you know, Mountain, we've jumped really into the performance advertising space. We've made creative front and center by merging with Maximum Effort, Ryan's company, and um, it's just been a 
had a great journey in doing that. It's fantastic content, and um, it, it doesn't seem to me that there are a lot of people as smart and good-looking as Ryan Reynolds. It seems unfair almost <laughs> that he gets all of that. Did you, do you sign him with your deal? Do you get a piece of him? I, the, Ryan is chief creative officer of Mountain um, and obviously founded Maximum Effort. And you know, I'm, I'm touching on just a small part of his whole career. Um, it's been amazing um, to, to work with him and continues to be amazing. And um, he recently you know, kind of took a sabbatical from films to just focus on building mountain and and the other things he has going on so it's um i feel privileged to be able to um have that kind of talent and you know one of the things on going back to peloton and the ad that we put out this weekend i mean it's almost an unfair advantage to have ryan as the chief creative officer and his and the team um and maximum effort that's now part of mountain to do that so it's, it's um uh, you know we're just a big believer in creative as part of media and you know um the ad media so we're we're it's just it's kind of amazing to watch mark it's great having you on always love talking to you thanks so much for dropping by mark douglas there president and ceo at mountain interest rates are on the rise we saw the action by the bo uh the bank of england today we heard fed chairman powell yesterday as he talks about accelerating tapering and then raising rates uh, next year and into 2023. What is a fixed income manager to do? Where are the opportunities in that kind of environment? Let's check in with a pro, Kevin Nicholson, Global Fixed Income Co-CIO. He's also co-head of investment committee at Riverfront Investment Group. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us here. All right, given what we now know from an interest rate perspective, what's your outlook for 2022? Um, my outlook for 2022 is that we should see the 10-year uh, move higher by year end. Our base case scenario is for the 10-year to yield 2% by the end of the year. Um, and as far as where we're looking for opportunities, um, we're going to focus on trying to get some higher yields uh, into the portfolio. We're going to look at high yield. Uh, even though um, we would stay up at the higher quality high yield at this juncture, because as the uh, Fed begins its tightening cycle, I think it will put some pressure on some of the lower yielding uh, companies out there. But you think it's safe. Companies. But you think it's safe to go back in the water now? I mean, the second half of November was rough, um, not just for high yield, but for IG too, and. Um, now, now you think uh, investors will cotton to that? They're going to need some of that yield? Well, I think that, I mean, when you look at where treasuries are yielding right now, I mean, we have the 10-year at a 142. You're not really, you're not keeping up with inflation. And so you have to look at a place that you're at least going to get closer to it. Um, there's very few places in the, in the uh, fixed income market that can keep up with inflation at at current levels. Matter of fact, there's only one place you can really go, and that's to the tips market. Um, so from my perspective, uh, going into next year, we have to uh, continue to be underweight fixed income. If you're looking at it in a balanced portfolio, you're going to uh, continue to have your duration shorter because uh, interest rates are going up. So you don't want to, uh, you know, put more pressure on your portfolio by um, having a long duration uh, in there at this point. So, Kevin, if I'm searching for yield and I, I venture into the high yield market, what are some of the sectors 
uh, that you guys think will be interesting next year? I mean, we're going to continue to uh, look at, uh, you know, your um, consumer um, services, more from like your financial, um, consumer financial services, uh, as well as we will uh, look, you know, in the high yield space at energy, see where, how that goes. Um, those are the, probably the main um, areas that we will uh, look at going into uh, the year. And as if we get uh, past this COVID uh you know, lockdown that we're seeing um, transpire over in Europe, um, we will start also looking at some of your leisure um, stocks, more for the, or excuse me, um, bonds that are more for the reopening. Is, I guess, Omicron must be one of the biggest worries other than the Fed. Yes. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I'm not concerned about Omicron so much here in the U.S. because I don't think that we're going to shut down our economy again. But when I look across the pond and, you know, look for fixed income ideas that are outside of the U.S., I do uh, indeed worry about, um, you know, Omicron because uh, they're tending to shut down their economies a, a lot faster than, you know, we're thinking about in the U.S. I think we've learned our lesson and we're just going to um, live with it going forward. All right. You're not the first person to tell us that today, Kevin. It seems to be consensus view. Kevin Nicholson is a global fixed income co-CIO and co-head of the investment committee at Riverfront Investment Group, giving us his outlook for 2022, as well as his take on uh, what we heard from Jerome Powell and the Fed yesterday and uh, the current situation with the coronavirus. As promised, we're going to bring you Marcus Schomer, chief economist at Pine Bridge Investment, to talk about the hawkish pivot first off. And then um, and then, Marcus, we saw the BOE actually go the the whole nine yards or almost, I guess, 15 basis point points of an increase. What do you think about um, these central banks getting uh, more and more hawkish on inflation? Hey, guys, nice to be back on the show. Um, Yes, what a what a few days or two days here for central bank watchers. I mean, it, we knew that this would be busy when we saw the schedule that everything's bunching up here the week before most people, I guess, shut down for Christmas. But uh, that we get so much action probably was a little bit of a surprise. Um, yeah, the, the Fed clearly in a, a hawkish uh, pivot. The Bank of England probably even more surprising and more confusing after disappointing expectations last month where they were supposed to raise rates. It didn't for kind of no really apparent reason. And then this time with soaring COVID cases, again, clouding the economic outlook and PMI numbers this morning, not particularly exciting, they decided to do raise rates. So I think what we're having here is just an environment where Central bank communication has become very, very inconsistent. And I think that's something that I would have thought as an economist, I'm not a portfolio manager, but as an economist, I would have thought that would really impact financial markets and that we would start to price in greater risk premiums again for central bank surprises. But so far, if I look at the markets, none of that really is happening. Marcus, what is your view of inflation as we head into 2020? Uh, the transitory term has been because retired by the U.S. Fed chair, but what is your view? Well, I mean, there's the idea that inflation can be transitory was always just out there to placate markets. I think the 
central banks were just too afraid to suddenly talk about inflation as a problem, but that could mean the financial market. That's why they sort of came up with transitory. Inflation is never transitory. Inflation is one of the worst economic trends that uh, makes income inequality worse than anything else. Yes, we know it's kind of good for debt um, because you know if you have a lot of nominal debt, higher inflation eats away that, that uh, amount of debt faster relative to GDP or relative to income. But with our pivot away from that towards more uh, income inequality-related problems, inflation is really, really bad. It makes rich people richer and poor people poorer. That's a huge problem. So that the Fed finally pivots to this is not a big surprise. And we know from previous inflation periods that even if it lasts only 12 months or 18 months, it has an impact. So to call it, to have called it transitory at the beginning, I think basically was an attempt by central banks to play defense in an environment where they are so far leaning towards excessive emergency stimulus that they couldn't really dial back that that fast. So they rolled out this word transitory. And the fact that they actually, that Powell even used the word, let's retire that expression, oh, made me really cringe last time because it meant it had served its purpose. It had served its purpose to confuse you all or placate you all, but now we don't need to do this anymore because we're ready to raise rates, so we've got to retire in inverted commas that word transitory. Um, it, it, I think it was never actually an, an honest uh, description of the inflation backdrop. You hate inflation almost as much as Ronald Reagan did. He said, he said <laughs> well, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. What I've been thinking about a lot lately, Marcus, is what it forces investors to do, especially with so much liquidity, so much cash out there. You don't want to just leave it in dollars and, you know, have it being reduced by a tenth every year. Right. Um, You need to put it to work. And when you need to put it to work, that's when dangerous things can happen. Well, that is true, but that's, isn't that exactly what we're doing, or what investors are doing, what the market's doing? I mean, why would you buy a 10-year bond at 1.4% when the current inflation rate is 6 And yeah, eventually we will be get back to 1.4%, but, but who really believes that over the next 10 years, inflation will ever be below 1.4% so that you can average to something that makes sense in terms of the, the nominal returns and interest you're getting on that investment in a 10-year bond vis-a-vis the inflation that will eat up the investment you just made in that bond. Um, and a lot of money is still going into those markets. A lot of mar- money is sustaining those markets. It really tells you you have to be in equities, right? That's the inflation story, being housing, all the assets that have some inflation protection because it, it uh, reacts to nominal economic activity, which is what equity markets are doing. That's where the money is. That's where the, market, the money is still going. But it is not that that's what everybody's doing. I'm surprised that uh, we have not seen a greater reaction in the bond market as a result of all of this inflation and the fact that the, the Fed is removing um, the policy support for bonds. Hey, Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts and perspective here as we try to digest uh, some of what we've heard from the Federal Reserve yesterday and the ECB uh, and the Bank of England today. Marcus Schomer, he's a chief economist for Pine Bridge Investments. And Marcus was just referencing kind of interest rates. And again, the 10-year Treasury, here we are, 1.43%. We have seen a flattening of the curve, but 
Again, you look at that 10 year, still at 1.43%. A lot of folks uh, thought we'd see a pickup, a rise in, in yields, uh, just not seeing it yet. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.